0: It's the clock. Somebody has set the clock forward 10 minutes. Now, I don't know what is, that's all about, what the conspiracy, like, you know, maybe if we do it 10 minutes ahead, maybe he won't preach as long today. Uh, but you guys are already in first service, so you know we can't go long. Uh, so it must be somebody from second service who's done it. And so we're going to nail them on it today, and we're going to go long in second service. Good to see you guys. Uh, Two weeks ago, we started a new series called The Religion of Enough. And uh, we first talked about being good enough. Many people in our day um, supposedly are post-Christian, and that means they don't want to talk about being righteous or unrighteous. That's not in their lingo. But they certainly talk about being enough or not enough. In many, many different areas of life, And we said that trying to be enough is the same thing as trying to be righteous. It can't be done without God's mercy. And the human condition is we need mercy. Well, this morning, I'm going to give you a little extra time to get to our reading in the book of Haggai. And so if you have an electronic Bible today, it'll be easy for you. If you have your regular paper Bible, it may take you a second to get there. We're going to Haggai. Haggai tiny little book at the end of the Old Testament, Haggai. And while you're turning there, uh, let me remind you, Amy mentioned this, tonight from 4 to 8, we have Next Step Class 101 and Next Step Class 201, and it's not too late to sign up for that. Uh, But if you would let us know right after the service today so that uh, we can have the small group that's preparing the meal to have enough food. Next Sunday evening... We have our annual church business meeting at our election, and uh, all the small groups. Uh, I hope you can bring your group and come, and uh, then we have the ice cream, social, and some softball. Okay, here we are, Haggai chapter one, and I'm going to set the stage for you, okay? Maybe you don't know much about Haggai. You haven't read the Haggai biography uh, lately, so uh, here's the here's the thing that was going on here. There was a large group of Israelites, over 40,000 of them, had returned from Persia and they had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild Solomon's temple that had been ransacked and burned by King Nebuchadnezzar and his army 70 years before. And you can read about this in the book of Ezra. Well, they arrived back in Jerusalem. They laid the foundation of the temple and then there was great opposition. There were uh, distractions, there were letters written about them to the governor. And now they had been back in the land for about 15 years, but the temple still hadn't been rebuilt. And then the prophet Haggai stood up, and he gave them what for? Uh, he preached the message that we're about to read in Haggai chapter 1, and we'll read in verse number 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai and the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages... Earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And I was a kid, every time I got money, uh, I wanted to spend it, and my mom would say, That money's burning a hole in your pocket. And I was wondering where she got that from. She got it from old Haggai. Right? Haggai said, Listen, every time you make money, uh, you put it into a bag with holes. And you get your paycheck on Friday, and by Saturday, it's gone. And and you're not able to keep what you want to keep. Our daughter, Sophie, uh, she cannot uh, keep money very long unless it's coins. Then she collects those. But uh, she graduated from kindergarten recently. And uh, we have a, a wonderful couple here at church that always has been so kind to our kids, And it spoiled them, really. And they gave her some money for her kindergarten graduation, right? Because it's such a big event in life, right? It's not that she had already graduated from K3 and K4. Now she's graduating from K5. So this is the big one. And so they gave her some money. So she wanted to go to the store to buy something. And uh, I have been rooked into taking her to the store a couple times. And I just happened to be gone at this one, so I didn't have to take her uh, she will walk around Target literally for hours trying to figure out what to buy. And then she does the thing where she goes eeny, meeny, mighty moe, and uh, she's trying to figure it all out. Well, she told Amy that she wanted to buy a cat bed. She wanted to buy a cat bed. And Amy said, well, we don't have a cat. And she said, I know, but I think it's pretty and I really want it for my baby dolls. So she used her money, like almost immediately after she got it, to buy a cat bed that now holds baby dolls that she carries around everywhere. So if you see a little girl walking around with a cat bed, that's Sophie, okay? And that's how we are sometimes with money, right? We get money, you know, we got to spend it, we got to get rid of it. And, and the Jews in Jerusalem had fallen into this trap. They had lost sight of the big picture. They had forgotten the purpose and the mission that they came to Jerusalem to do. And now they were just living to get enough for themselves. The passion for the temple had clearly been lost. You know, there's a thought process in society that goes something like this. If we get enough, then we'll be enough. And this morning, we're going to see that it's a total myth in our message, Get Enough. And the notes are in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. Let's talk first about the amount for enough. The amount for enough. You might have heard this before. Uh, it's a such a telling piece of history. When John Rockefeller was the world's richest man, uh, he was asked, how much money is enough? And his reply Uh, There's old John right there. His reply, the standard answer of secularism, uh, they asked him, uh, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And in every society, in every area of time, in uh, every race, every people group, the amount for enough is always just a little bit more. Haggai said, hey, people of Israel, how much do you have to accumulate before you start investing in the house of God? Just a little bit more. Look, Haggai, if we could just make a little bit more, we'd give more to the temple project. We'd pay more attention to God's house. And this is a classic argument in a get enough mindset. People actually think this. If God would just let me make more, I'd give more. right? They think God must not want me to give much because he hasn't given me that dream job yet. The truth is it doesn't happen that way. It never does. Giving is not an income issue. It's a heart issue. Have you ever noticed that when people's incomes go up, their spending goes up right along with it? Uh, If I could just get a little more, For sure, that would enable me to live out God's purposes. It's the religion of enough. It's a lie of the enemy. And it always starts with this next part that we'll talk about, the illusion of ownership. The illusion of ownership. And to get a clear understanding of this point, uh, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12. And I would encourage you to read along with this and take a look at it for yourself It is one of the most important stories in the entire New Testament. Jesus understood that getting enough stops a great number of people from giving their lives to God. And so he told this story in Luke chapter 12. And at first he gave a premise, and then he told a story to prove his premise. Here's what he said, verse number 15. He said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Yeah, this is such a powerful story, and you know, like many of us, uh, the rich fool on the parable assumed that he was the owner and he was the ruler of all the stuff under his care. And, and Jesus used this man's story to remind us all that stuff and ownership are both temporary. Ownership is only an illusion, the rat race of getting enough so that I can own enough so that I can be enough is all an illusion. A person's life is not equal to a person's stuff. Getting enough will never make you enough. But the religion of enough continues to lie to all of us. And you hear it all the time. People say, if if I can just get into this university, if I could just get this job, if I can just get this raise, if I can just get this promotion, if, if we could just save this much, if we could just get the kids finished up with college, if we could just get this bill paid off, now, there's always another step, just a little bit more. It is an illusion. Now, we don't really own anything we have, it's all temporary. And God says that we are just managers of his stuff. It all belongs to him. Here's an interesting thing to think about, though. Greed has no demographics. This is the third part of the message. Greed has no demographics. Covetousness is a common root issue in people from every society, every income level, every era of time. The New Testament uh, it's so weird because the New Testament says that covetousness or greed is idolatry. That's a strong word, right? Uh, you think back to the Ten Commandments, right? You may not know all ten of them, but you probably know this one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Uh, you're not supposed to make any graven image or idol. You're not supposed to bow down to anything but God, And getting enough is idolatry in the same way that bowing down to a false idol is idolatry. They both inflate something artificial into the place of God. Here's the thing, though. Greed isn't quite as easy to identify as a wooden idol on the wall. See, greed is often masked as a positive trait. I'm just thrifty. I'm just careful. You don't hear people say, you know, I'm really greedy. Right? Have you ever heard somebody say that? I'm really greedy. I can never get enough. Now it's a trait that's almost impossible to see in ourselves. Now we see it in other people, right? Oh, my Uncle Fillmore, he sure is greedy. Right? My Aunt Jemima, she's greedy. She made up all that syrup money and she didn't give any to us. We we can see other people who are greedy, but we can't see it in ourselves. And to see ourselves as greedy, I mean, even at this moment, you're probably thinking, I know a few people who are greedy. Well, I'm certainly not greedy. I just like to think of the future. I just want to be ready for a rainy day. Well, how much would be enough? Just a little bit more. Right? And the person with a billion gives the same answer as a person with a million and the same answer as a person with a thousand and the same person with $10. How much would be enough? Just a little bit more. Right? Uh, people are getting audacious in, in these latter days. Uh, we were at a conference a couple weeks ago, and a man actually walked up to uh, Shane and I on the street, Shane Cornwall, our our wonderful sound guy back there, and Shane and I were walking down the street, and a guy walks up to me, and he says, hey, you got a few bucks so I can buy a beer? I don't have quite enough. <laughs> That's pretty audacious, right? They used to just ask for a few bucks, and you had to guess what it was for. Now they just tell you up front, right? If I could just get a little bit more, it'd make me happy, right? If I could just get this thing, it'd make me happy. And we are raising a generation of kids who are literally raised on this principle that if I could get this, that would make me happy. And they get that, and guess what they find? Doesn't make them happy. So what do they do? They say, if I could just get this, it'd make me happy. And it extends their whole lives into things, stuff, relationships, experiences, thrills, degrees, status. The religion of enough is such a saboteur. It steals life from us. So how do we discern covetousness in ourselves? How do we see greed in ourselves? Because it literally is almost impossible. Well, it's in the language of the heart. The heart cries out, I owe myself this. I don't expect my spouse or my parents or my boss or whoever to take care of me like I need to be taken care of. When I was growing up, my dad didn't take care of us right or my mom didn't take care of us right. uh, and I, I didn't have enough. And only I know how to make myself happy. Now look, if your heart language is saying any of those things, you are a participant in the religion of enough. You might say verbally that you love and trust God, but greed has led you to trust in yourself having enough as the answer to your contentment. I like what the author of Hebrews said, such a powerful thing, Hebrews 13. Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he, Jesus, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Christian finds contentment in Jesus. No one finds contentment in getting enough. Nobody ever in the history of the world has ever found contentment in getting enough. And there are people who say, listen, I'm not greedy. Just give me a million dollars and I'll be happy with them. Right? Or whatever number it is. Like, okay, well, what about... Uh, 999,999, would that, would that satisfy you? Yeah, that'd be fine. Well, what about 999,998, right? And it'd take a while to go down. <laughs> uh, we don't have enough time in church today. we got that extra 10 minutes, though, so we could do this for a while. Um, <clears throat> but but we keep going down until we finally get to a number where you oh, no, no, I'd have to go more than that, right? You say, would you take 500,000? I'd take 500,000. Okay, uh, how about 250000 would, would that be enough for you? Uh, well, uh, yeah, that'd be enough. How about 125000 Would that be enough? No, no, I need a little more than that. Right? There's always a number, this artificial number, where we say, if I just had this, it'd be enough. But, Pastor, I'm not greedy. If I just got enough to pay off all my bills, yeah, my house... That'd be enough. Okay? And uh, and so we always have this number, but it's artificial. It's not real. It's a made up definition of enough. And it exposes a lack of contentment in Jesus Christ. And when the heart is not content in Jesus Christ, we collectively, me included, have bought into the false religion of enough. And even though we call ourselves Christians and we know Jesus and we are bound for heaven, we've gotten stuck on the affections and things of this earth. That's why Paul warned us in Colossians 3 If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set not your affections of things below, the things of this earth, because that's the religion of enough. Now, the final part of the message, I want to go back through something we talked about from Jesus' parable in Luke 12. And, and let's rephrase it by saying this uh, as this last part. Stuff does not equal life stuff does not equal life you know the definition of enough is always determined by the definition of treasure Uh, jesus said a man's life consists not of the things he possesses and he told this story of the rich fool and then he said so is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward god in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said it this way. This is Matthew 6. And you maybe you've heard this before. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. And so there are things that people consider to be treasure. Right? And, and it's different for every person, right? Like you had an ant who treasured salt and pepper shakers. Right? How many of you had an ant who treasured salt and pepper shakers? All right? Uh, or an ant who collected bells. There are people who collect shot glasses. There are people who collect thimbles. Uh, There are people who collect baseball cards. There are people who collect uh, motorcycles. There's collections of everything, right? One man's junk is another man's. Right? So there are things people consider to be treasure. Well, what's the downside of earthly treasure? Well, it's MRT. MRT? Yep, MRT. Moths, rust, and thieves. Jesus said, if you think earthly things are important, you better watch out for the big three moths for your material, rust for your metal, and thieves for your other stuff. Jesus said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now what's so good about the treasures in heaven? No MRT. No moths, no rust, no thieves. The treasures of heaven lead directly to authentic contentment in this life and in the next. They never disappear. But the treasures of earth are never enough. You know what Jesus said will keep most people out of heaven? Trying to get enough. The pursuit of earthly riches will distract their hearts from reality long enough where they'll never see their need for eternal life. And so Haggai says to the distracted Jews, consider your ways. In fact, he says it twice. Consider your ways. Get your priorities right. Live for the eternal. Getting enough doesn't bring contentment. But you know what does bring contentment? giving to God's kingdom. Here's a sentence for you, and you may write this on the back of your paper or your bulletin today. The antidote to greed is generosity. Right? The only thing that can cure greed is generosity. It's the only thing. The antidote to greed is generosity. Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Paul said to the Christians in Corinth, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. The principle of giving, defeating greed, is prominent in God's economy. Paul went on to say this in Second Corinthians 9, 7. Every man, every woman, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. So you have to purpose in your heart to do this. You have to set a level or a percentage that you're going to give to God or you can't defeat greed, right? People say, well, when I feel like giving to God, I always will give or, uh, well, I feel like I have enough that I'll give. You notice that word enough again? Uh, So God helped us with this. You know, before the law was ever given, Abraham gave 10% of his income to God. In the law, God told the Jews 10%. When Jesus was on earth, he said again, 10%. And I always recommend that you follow the Bible's pattern of 10% to be blessed by God. But truth is, maybe you've never given on purpose before. It could be that you've never set a percentage and followed through faithfully for 30 or 60 or 90 days. And uh, look, don't worry so much about what the percentage number is as the purposeful part of this. Okay? Start with 4% of your income. Start with 6% of your income, whatever the number is. But start with being a purposeful, regular giver. Why? Because God needs the money? Nope. Because the pastor said so? Nope. Because giving is the only thing that protects the heart from greed. Giving is the only thing that protects the heart from greed. Giving protects your heart from the religion of enough. And it changes the focus from temporal to eternal. Paul said purpose in your heart how much you'll give and then give. Not grudgingly like okay God here's your money now leave me alone. And not grudgingly not of necessity I'm doing this because it's My duty to do it. Though God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Here's what I know from being in ministry for 25 years. Uh, I, I don't know everything. In fact, I seem to know less every year, but I do know this faithful, regular givers are the most contented people on earth. They are. Because they regularly protect their hearts from greed. And the only way that they don't get sucked up into the religion of enough is that they regularly give and cheerfully give to God. And he consistently protects their hearts from the religion of enough. They lay up treasures in heaven. They realize that stuff does not equal life. Last Sunday morning... Uh, I was privileged to be a part of a church building dedication uh, in a tiny village in South India. And uh, we drove, uh, and then we drove some more, and then we drove some more. I I don't even know the name of the village. Uh, The building that we dedicated was about half the size of this section. And uh, the people had sacrificed uh, to give money to buy sand and gravel, and uh, make bricks so that they could build this church building. And uh, I, I was so encouraged to meet these people. Uh, they have nothing. And uh, we we got to the building, and there were about twelve or fifteen people. The tiny little building. And the pastor said, "This is a Hindu village, uh, and so it's very difficult for us to start a church here because uh, the people are afraid, because the Hindus oppress them and they burn down church buildings and." If you commit to being a Christian and you're baptized as a Christian, your family will likely disown you. And, and so we started the church and we were singing and, and we walked in and they pointed me to the front. And there were some chairs at the front and I went and sat down. And I looked down as they came in and they all began to sit on the floor on mats. No chairs for them, just for the, the guests. Yeah, so I'm sitting up there, and they're singing. And yeah, you can see the, the joy of the Lord in their hearts, in their eyes. And yeah, they're prepared to be there for a long time. In fact, uh, if you don't preach long enough, they get mad at you. They set their clock ten minutes back, not ahead. Right? And, and, and so we had a, a wonderful service with them. Yeah, and uh, as we began to sing, and as the service went on, I would watch through the back door as more people came. None of them have cars. Not one person in the church had a car, not even a pastor, the pastor. And, I, and so most of them don't even have motorcycles. And so they would walk from the village out to the outskirts, uh, or they would take a, um, a little ride on a tut-tut and uh, be dropped off. And by the time we got to the preaching, there were about 60 people in the room they're packed in. And uh, they're they're so dedicated to God. I'm so overwhelmed by them. Here's the thing I figured out about them, though. It's easier for them to realize that stuff doesn't equal life. Because they don't have any stuff. But they're still exposed to the religion of enough every day. The Hindu religion is all about having enough gods, doing enough works. Over 80% of the people in India are Hindu. That's well over a billion people. In a state where I was, Tamil Nadu, over 87% of the people are Hindu. Now get this, this is crazy. The population of Tamil Nadu is over 81 million people. Tamil Nadu is less than 60% of the size of the state of Idaho. This would be like taking a quarter of the population of the United States and putting them into the size of the state of Iowa. And I've found this the religion of enough is everywhere, but it's a chameleon religion. It uses different strokes for different folks. And maybe you realize you're not good enough to get to God from our first message in the series. But the Spirit of God has whispered to your heart this morning that you have fallen into the trap, not of good enough, but of good enough. You have lived in the illusion that the stuff you accumulate really belongs to you. You have somehow thought that stuff equals life. Jesus said there's a way out of the trap. Generosity defeats greed. Finding contentment in Jesus defeats covetousness. The most miserable people on earth are the ones who are trying to be enough and get enough. And here's my question for you why would you live in misery? When Jesus has already saved you from the religion of enough. One day, Jesus was teaching, and this was just after the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, Jesus, the day before, uh, had taken a little boy's lunch and multiplied it and given thanks. And uh, the disciples took the food out, and everybody ate fish and chips. And uh, they had so much fish and chips that there were 12 baskets left over and nobody could eat anymore. And the little boy, you know, had this caravan come to his house that night with all these baskets of food. And so the next day, all these people walked around the lake to find Jesus. And Jesus said, you didn't come because you want to hear the truth. You came because you want more fish and chips. Let's just be honest. And so he told them some hard truths about following Jesus. He said, following Jesus isn't always going to be fish and chips. Sometimes you're going to have to give your life to follow me. And he told them some hard truths. And it says this uh, at the end of John 6. It says, many of his disciples also went away. And Jesus turned to his inner group of disciples, his small group. And he said, Will you also go away? <laughs> and Peter said, Jesus, to whom shall we go? You and only you, thou, hast the words of eternal life. Peter said, Jesus, now that we've tasted the truth, nothing will ever be enough to satisfy our souls but you. And if you're a Christian today, What if you got back to that same thought process where you said, Jesus, only you can satisfy my soul. I can never be enough. I can never get enough to satisfy my soul. Bigger house, not going to satisfy my soul. Bigger car, nope. More kids, nope. The kids are a heritage of the Lord, and they bring happiness to the home but they don't satisfy the soul for eternity. See, Jesus and only Jesus can defeat the religion of enough in the human heart. And so, our message today is clear. Stuff does not equal life. Stuff does not equal life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you this morning, that we could be in this place, we thank you for your goodness and grace, and and Lord, as you apply this message to our hearts right now, I pray that we would be strong in our faith, and that we would find our contentment in Christ alone. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go this. Morning,